a new translation of Jesus' Joy of Man's Desiring by Bach. It says, Christ remains my joy forever, life and comfort of my heart. From his hand no grief can sever, straight to weary souls impart. Light and gladness, full and measure, thrills my soul, its richest treasure. Christ shall be unfading light for my heart and for my sight. Our scripture reading today is found in John 14, 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you may be also. May God bless the reading of his word. Good morning. Happy Sabbath, church. It's a great blessing to be here. Uh, We are uh, still getting settled, transitioning, renovating, uh, all of the above. Uh, But we want to thank you so much for the warm welcome from each one of you. Uh, We're grateful, and I'm getting to... uh, Getting to know all of your names, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, and to help me do so, I'm planning, a, I have my uh, visitation schedule that we're putting into place, Miss Joy is helping me uh, fill that and recruiting you, so I'm looking forward to getting to meet all of you. My goal is to get through both churches by the end of the year, 
And so uh, hopefully that will help with my name recall uh, for each one of you. So um, thank you so much all for who, who, those who have participated in the service today. Really appreciate that special music and scripture reading. And thank you so much to the elders for their guidance in my first service here. Let's go ahead and pray and ask the Lord to be with us as we start our sermon this morning. Kind Father in heaven, uh, we thank you so much again for this opportunity to be together, this opportunity to pray together and lift one another up in prayer. This morning, Father, I'm, I'm praying for your spirit to please be with each one of us. I, I pray, Father, that the words that are spoken today would come directly from your throne and that they would fall on good soil, that it would bear fruit in our lives and that our lives would be used for your service. We thank you and we ask everything in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, from, the, from the moment that Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, from that time moving forward, fear and worry has been all too familiar or has been an ingrained part of the human experience. When Adam and Eve sinned in the beginning, they, worried about, they were worried about what was the consequences of their sin would be. They didn't know what it meant to die and so they ran, they hid, they were worried, they were fearful about what might happen next, right? And we see that in the biblical text. And since that time, human beings have been fearful or worried about many things. We worry about the future. We worry about lots of things that we can't control. We worry about our finances. We worry about our children. We worry about who the next leader of the country is going to be and what policies they will enact. Fear and worry is very much a part of the human experience. We worry about our health. We worry about a lot of things as human beings today. And in our story this morning, we're going to find that these men in the story that are, are surrounding it, they're worried about a couple of things. They're worried about their future but they're also worried about their acceptance with God. Have you ever worried about your spiritual condition? Have you ever worried about your, your acceptance with God, whether or not you have done something or continue doing something that is so bad that you don't believe God will accept you? Well, these men in this story are experiencing both of those things. They're worried about the future, and they're also worried about their acceptance with God. Let's turn there in our scripture reading in John chapter 14. But to understand what's going on in John chapter 14, we have to read a few verses backward in John chapter 13 to know what is happening in the story. So turn there with me, John chapter 13. We'll read the last few verses to get some idea of what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 14. John chapter 13 And I'm going to begin reading in verse 36. John chapter 13 and verse 36. And it reads, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, 
Will you lay down my, your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. And the text continues right into 14, verse 1. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Now, if you were to read this in English, which we're all reading today, you would think that the story just continued with Jesus speaking to Peter. And you would think he's just told him some terrible news, and he's coming right to his side, and he's saying, don't, don't, don't worry, it's going to be okay. But something interesting happens here in the Greek. Uh, and I, I'll forewarn you a little bit. I'm, I, at Southern, we had to take, I had to take six semesters of languages. So three semesters of Greek, three semesters of Hebrew. And so as I'm, you can very much tell that I wrote this sermon when I was still in school because I refer to the Greek several times, probably about three times. So just bear with me. They're not all this way, but the Greek is helpful at times. Verse, chapter 14, verse 1, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. In the Greek, that, that form of that word, the your, it goes from being a singular form to a plural form. So Jesus is not just speaking directly to Peter. He has now turned his attention to the group. In English, there's no differentiation. I can say to my wife, your dress is a beautiful dress. I'm speaking singularly directly to her. Or I can say to all of you in the congregation, your church is a beautiful church, and I'm speaking plural. I'm speaking to all of you. However, the Greek, the Greek gives us definite, it's a very um, definite language in that way. And so to get some insight as to this your, why Jesus has turned his attention to the group, let's turn to another story. Keep your finger in John chapter 14. We're going to spend all of our time there. I just want to look at one more text. Matthew chapter 26, 30 to 35, gives us some insight. This is why I appreciate having four Gospels to refer to. Matthew chapter 26 <clears throat> gives us some insight. <clears throat> Matthew gives us some insight as to what is going on here a little more broadly. Matthew doesn't mix words about it. It's not just Peter. Matthew 26, 30 to 35, and it reads... And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter, Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. So Matthew doesn't mix words about it. It's not just Peter who's isolated. All of them are pledging their life to Jesus that night. All of them are committing themselves to go to prison and to death. So Matthew gives us some clear insight. Let's go back to John chapter 14. The disciples are worried about a couple of things at this point in their experience. Jesus is leaving them. They don't know where He's going. All of their hopes of this future kingdom 
that they all wanted to participate in, be a part of, be at the head of. Jesus is saying that's not happening. Everything that they had dreamed, their hopes of glory, whatever it was, that's being dismissed, it's being taken away, and also there's something else going on. So they're worried about their future. What does the future look like now? But he's also just told them that they are all going to forsake him. They had all vowed they would follow him to the death. And we read, and I, I picture a look of shock and terror washing over their faces as he's giving them this terrible news at the end of 13. And we move right into 14. Jesus doesn't allow them to despair. He doesn't allow them to wallow in misery. He doesn't allow them to do anything without missing a beat, without missing a breath. He moves into 14, verse 1. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. He's speaking to the group. This word for troubled in the Greek is terasso or tarasesto in this instance. And it it means, it means to agitate. It's often used in reference to political or civil unrest, okay? And so it can also be translated as panic. So when fear or worry sets into the human soul unfettered and unchecked, panic ensues. So essentially what Jesus is telling them here is don't panic. I know what I've told you is, is, is terrifying. I know what I've told you is worrisome. He comes right to their side. This is something that I love about Jesus. He comes right to their side and he says, don't panic. I know you're worried about many things. <clears throat> These are Jewish men. They've all confessed that Jesus is the Messiah at some point in their experience. You recall in John chapter 1, Nathaniel, when he first met Jesus, he says, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Peter, at another point in his experience, Jesus had asked him, who do people say that I am? He said, they said, some say a prophet, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist. And, John, and Jesus said to him, but who do you say that I am? And he says, you're the Christ. You're the son of God. You're the Messiah. So they've all acknowledged at some point in their experience that Jesus is the Messiah. They're worried about their future. But they're also worried because if they deny Jesus Christ, they're denying God. And I don't know about you, but for a Jewish person, I don't think in their mind there is any more heinous a sin that they could commit than to deny their Savior to deny God. So they're worried about the future, but they're also worried about their spiritual condition. They're worried about their standing with God. Let not your heart be troubled. Don't panic, he says. I know this is terrible news for you, but don't look at yourselves. You'll be driven to despair if you focus on yourself. The first reason that Jesus gives them in the text that they ought not panic, is found, in, is found in the text. It's found in verse 1 of John chapter 14. Turn there, or, or let's look there. John 14 and verse 1, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. 
You believe in God. You believe in God. I don't care. God is, he, God is going to carry you through. Whatever difficulties you perceive are in your future, whatever worries you have about the future, you believe in God. You believe in the one who holds the future in his hands. Sometimes I get the impression from some Christians that when difficulties arise, it's as if they don't believe in God at all. They're in panic just like everyone else in the world. It's as though there is no God in the universe all of the sudden. When difficulties come, they go into a panic. As though there is no God to help them. But Jesus is coming to their side. He says, you believe in God. Whatever worries you have for the future, we are to safely, the Bible, the Psalm says that we are to, under the shadow of His wings, we are to abide in difficult times. Your relationship with God supersedes any, ca- any sin that you have committed, and in their case, they haven't even committed the error yet. He says you believe in God. Your relationship with God supersedes all of that. Whatever difficulties you perceive are in your future. This connection with God is vital. Under His wings, we are to safely abide during times of difficulty, during worldwide pandemics, during civil unrest, during financial crises, during marital crises. You believe in God. This means that since we trust and abide in Him, it doesn't matter what happens to us out here. Because in the end, we know that He wins. Whatever stunts the devil may play, whatever evil he may cause, whatever pain he may inflict, he can do whatever he wants out here. My citizenship is in heaven. I believe in God. I'm not worried about what happens to this this kingdom, this world. I'm sure I want to make it the best that I can while I'm here. But I, I know what the Bible tells me about it. And so I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm not, my focus is not fixing it because God already told me that it's, it's going to fall apart. The devil can do whatever he wants, but I know that my citizenship lies somewhere else. I am a citizen of another kingdom. I want to reflect the attributes and characteristics of that kingdom. That's what I'm looking forward to. So we ought not panic, but look up. We ought to look to our relationship with God. And he continues in the text. Second reason is also in the text. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. In the same way that you believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus says. Jesus always puts his father first. He says, the words that you hear me speak, they're not mine, they come from the Father. The things that you see me do, they're not, they're not of, of, they don't come from me, they come from the Father. So Jesus always puts his Father first, but he says to them this day, in the same way that you believe in him, believe also in me. Putting himself on the same level. He is, he is, he's giving us evidence of his divinity right here that He is also one with the Father. But He is the way, our way to the Father. He wants them to understand His divinity as well, His connection with the Father. 
Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So when you have a relationship with Him, you don't have to worry about your sins so long as you're giving them to Him, right? So these men are worried about their sins. They're worried about their denial of God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Just a couple of verses down. He is the way to the Father. So he says, you believe in God, believe also in me. As long as we have a relationship with Jesus and we are confessing and forsaking our sins, we don't have anything to panic about or worry about. If you're holding on to them, then you have something to panic about. If you're, if you're, if you're living in them and clinging to them, then you have something to panic about. But Jesus is saying, if you're coming to me, there's no reason for you to panic. Don't panic, look up. He's trying to get these men, as we find out in the next verse, he's trying to get these men, their minds off of what he has just told them and to focus on something else. Don't panic, look up. He's pointing to himself. He's pointing to the Father. Now what's next? The third reason they ought not panic is also found in the text. He says in verse 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. He's trying to get these men to look beyond themselves, to look beyond their circumstances, and to look heavenward. He says, In my Father's house... Are many, man, are many mansions, many rooms. Rooms is a better translation. <clears throat> he refers to their relationship to him, to the Father, and also to their eternal home. Don't focus on the, the, your disappointment of an earthly empire, an earthly kingdom. Your kingdom is still coming, he says. Lift your eyes and your mind heavenward. Focus on, it's kind of like, think about it this way. So he's just told them this terrible news. And it's, think about it as your child. If you've ever, ever had a child and the child is running around and they fall and they scrape their knee. And you, they, they come to you, you, maybe you pick them up, brush them off. And they're crying and they're fussing and they're, it's, a, it's a very slight injury. And so you're trying to get their mind off of that. And you say, it's okay, it's okay. Look at me. Look at me. Don't, don't allow, allow them to focus on the pain. Focus on me and get their mind off of that. That's exactly what Jesus is doing for his children right here. Don't focus on that. Look at me. I have the ability and I'm, I'm holding you. I'm taking care of you. You don't need to worry about that. This, I know you think it's a big deal, but it's not a big deal. I am going to the Father on your behalf. I'm going to take care of the problem. So long as you have a relationship with me, you don't have to panic. You don't have to worry about that. That's what Jesus is doing right here. He goes on. He says, there are many rooms. It could be seen. It's not. In this instance, he's focusing on the physical rooms. He's focusing on he's creating a place for them. He's, fo he's trying to get them to focus on heaven. But another way that we could look at this is that Jesus is saying there's much room for you at the throne of grace. There is much room for you to come to me. So he's trying to get them to focus on him. 
He says he's giving them another reason not to panic. Your, your home is in heaven. Don't worry about what disappointments, what ideas you may have had. That's all going to fall apart or it may fall apart. Don't panic. Don't worry. Don't set your mind on that. You are a citizen of another kingdom that is still coming. You see, uh, in the Desire of Ages, it says, she writes this, Satan's craft is most successful against those who are depressed by difficulties. Therefore, Jesus pointed them away from the things which are seen to the things which are not seen. She's quoting 2 Corinthians. From earthly exile, he turned their thoughts to their heavenly home. Something else, another point, side note that I'll make about this, this story. Something that I just love about Jesus. I'll just say it that way. Jesus is speaking to these men as if they are going to make it. He's, he's giving them hope. He's encouraging them. He's saying, as long as you hold on to me, you're going to be fine. And in, in Luke's account, I think it's in Luke chapter 22, he tells Peter the bad news. You're going to forsake me. You're going to deny me. He says, but when you are converted, go and strengthen your brethren. He's speaking hope to them. He's speaking life to them. You are going to make it. You're going to be okay. I'm going to make rooms for you. It's going to be okay. Jesus is trying to encourage us with the same thing today. I don't know what you may be going through, what you may be perplexed about, what you may be worried about. It's going on in the world today. Don't panic. Look up. Look to the Savior. Focus on your relationship with God. Focus on your relationship with Jesus Christ, on the things that matter in this life. Don't panic. Look at me, he says. Focus on my ministry in heaven. That's how you're going to get there. It's through Christ. You may have failed. You may have sinned. But look to him, just like the bronze serpent in the wilderness saved from the poison of the snake. When we look to Christ and his sacrifice, it saves from the poison of sin. Another side note quickly that I'll just touch on briefly. Um, I don't know if we see Jesus' humanity shining through here or not. You know, when a, from a psychological perspective, when a human being experiences trauma, we often do whatever we can to guard ourselves to make sure that that trauma does not happen again, okay? And so, for example, like my grandparents both lived through the Great Depression in this country, both of them. They were young, you know, uh, I guess children at that age, but they both lived through it. And so I look back at how they lived and their food storage method and their, their amount that they stored for the two of them was astronomical, okay? So clearly, they had lived in a time where they had to go without at some point in their lives. So they had like three massive chest freezers in the garage. They had cupboards that were just packed full of food because in their mind, psychologically, they were guarding themselves so that they would never have to experience that hunger trauma again. Okay, so when I read this, where Jesus is focusing on rooms, and I think about him, and I think about his humanity, 
If you recall, when Jesus came to this planet, we did not even have a room for him. And so he is, he is saying here in this instance, he's saying, guys, you know, he experienced that, what that was like. But he's saying, guys, in my kingdom, there are plenty of rooms. You won't ever have to worry about going without a room. In my father's house, there is room for you. I'm going there to make a room for you. You don't have to worry about going without in my kingdom. It's not going to be like it is here. It's going to be so much better. Verse 3. He says, and if I go. Did he go? He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Did he go? Is he there? So contained within that is a promise that if I go, I will prepare and I will come again. Jesus is doing the same thing that he has been trying to encourage humanity with since the fall. He is saying, I know it's a, you're living in a terrible circumstance, in a terrible situation, but he is trying to get humanity to focus on there is a kingdom that is still coming. We see it in the book of Daniel. We see it in Isaiah. We see it throughout the prophets. There is a promise that God's kingdom is still coming. And in his kingdom, it's going to be radically different than it is here and now. Jesus is doing the same thing that we see throughout the Bible. He says, he's speaking words of hope that he has been repeating to human beings since the fall. He was going to make a way of salvation. He's promising a new kingdom that he repeated throughout the prophets. And I'm going to tell you this today, if you didn't know already, this is why we exist as Seventh-day Adventists. Our name is a sermon. We, we worship on the Seventh-day Sabbath because we're pointing people back to the worship of the true Creator, the day that He outlined, the day that He said. And we are, we are so we worship on the seventh day. We are Adventists in the sense that we are eagerly looking forward to a coming kingdom. We are eagerly looking forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. We are echoing the same message that Jesus, that God has been trying to give to humanity throughout the, 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 the last 6,000 years of sin. He is trying, we exist to do exactly what he is doing in this text. We exist to proclaim that Christ is coming soon. And that his kingdom is coming. And we are here to give people hope. And I don't know about you, but there is a lot of despair and discouragement and sadness in our world today. Uh, Our world could use some Seventh-day Adventists out there proclaiming that Jesus is coming soon. Yes, this world is pretty sad and awful and upset right now, but we exist to say... Jesus is coming. Yes, it's bad right now. But guess what? You don't, have to, you don't have to get so caught up in the anxiety of the day. You can have peace in Jesus Christ, knowing that you're a citizen of his kingdom. 
We exist to point people away from their circumstances to the coming kingdom. I got to witness this the other day. Bob Gouger was helping me unload something at my house. And two other men were there from the community. And they started complaining about the economy. They started complaining about Joe Biden. Bob didn't miss a beat. He said, guess what? The Bible says that it's going to only get worse. But we're looking forward to Christ's soon return. He's the only one that's going to fix this mess. There isn't a politician on the planet that is going to fix the mess that we're in. I don't know who you have your hopes in and that, but it, it, they're not going to do it. Jesus is going to fix the mess when he comes. You see, down through the history of human beings, there's always been a huge gap between the rich and the poor. And so the poor people who were born a slave, born a peasant, born a serf, born whatever... They were never going to elevate their social status in life. So the poor always latched on to the hope of a coming kingdom because they knew they had no hope here. However, in our country, a middle class exists. And so we create a life for ourselves and we think we can just make it better. We need to get focused on Christ and his soon coming kingdom and to point people to that kingdom. A kingdom that is good and equitable for all people. A kingdom in which the government isn't corrupt at the highest levels. A kingdom in which the leadership doesn't change every few years, causing anxiety among the citizens. He's coming again to receive us to himself. No more pain, no more sin, no more tears, no more lies, no more cancer, no more evil. Jesus is trying to get their thoughts off of themselves, off of their inabilities, off of their sins. Don't worry. Don't panic. Look up. Lift your eyes and minds to heavenly things. When you fall into sin, remember that he is standing before the Father pleading on your behalf. That is your ticket out of here. It's his ministry in the heavenly sanctuary. When you find yourself perplexed and worried about what the future holds, remember that He is in heaven preparing a place for you. Remember that you're living for something so much greater than the filth and the evil that occurs here. Don't get bogged down in the mud. I don't know about you, but it's been very easy to hate politicians in the last several years. It's been very easy to hate people in those places, media, don't get bogged down in that nonsense. There isn't a human on the planet, nor a social movement, nor a political party that can fix the mess that, this, that our human existence has created. If you want to join a social movement, I invite you to join the gospel movement. Because it's only when Christ comes that all the wrongs will finally be righted. If you want to join a political movement, I invite you to join the gospel movement because it's only when King Jesus comes that we will have a kingdom that is fair and equitable for all people. And we can have, finally have a candidate in the gospel movement. We have a candidate that we can finally be proud of all of his accomplishments. A candidate who never tells us lies. A candidate who, is, who has nothing but the good of his citizens in mind 
If you want to join a political movement, join the gospel movement. A candidate who tells the truth at all times. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Don't worry. Don't panic. Look up. When the future seems dark and uncertain, look up. I'm going to read to you this account. Uh, it's a story. It's a story uh, of John Wesley, one of his missionary encounters. You may know the story. He was on a ship coming over to America. He was coming to the state of Georgia, where we just came from. And in his journey over here, he and his, there were several missionary groups coming to America. And in his journey over here, they came into a massive storm. And I'm going to read to you his journal account of the storm. <clears throat> This is in the year 1736, early. He says, at seven, and I'm going to warn you, like the English is a little different than how we would say it, but I'm going to read it as he wrote it. He says, at seven, I went to the Germans. The Germans we think of or say, we call them today, this group of Germans, we call the Moravians. We know them as the Moravians. So if you're familiar with the Moravians, that's who he's speaking about. He says, at seven, I went to the Germans. I had long before observed the great seriousness of their behavior. Of their humility, they had given a continual proof by performing those servile offices, officer, offices for the other passengers, which none of the English would undertake for which they desired and would receive no pay, saying it was good for their proud hearts, and that their loving Savior had done so much more for them. And every day had given them occasion of showing a meekness which no injury could move. If they were pushed, struck, or thrown down, they rose again and went away, but no complaint was found in their mouth. There was now an opportunity of trying whether they were delivered from the spirit of fear as well as from that of pride, anger, and revenge. In the midst of the psalm wherewith their service began, the sea broke over and split the mainsail in pieces and covered the ship, and it poured between the decks as if the great deep had already swallowed us up. A terrible screaming began among the English. But the Germans calmly sung on. I asked one of them afterwards, Was you not afraid? He answered, I thank God, no. I asked, But were not your women and children afraid? He replied mildly, No, our women and children are not afraid to die. From them I went to their crying, trembling neighbors, and pointed out to them the difference in the hour of trial between him that fears God and him that feareth him not. At twelve the wind fell. This was the most glorious day which I had hitherto seen. The Moravians' hearts were not troubled. They were not panicking. They believed in God. They believed in Jesus Christ. They believed that Jesus was in heaven preparing rooms for them and interceding on their behalf. 
They knew that Jesus was coming back for them, and if they were to die that night because of their, their relationship with God and their relationship with Jesus, their citizenship in heaven was sure. Later on in John chapter 14, verse 27, he says, My peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. The Moravians experience this peace, a peace that doesn't make any sense, a peace that passes understanding, a peace that when everything around you is going wrong, they experience the peace of Jesus Christ. I beg of you this morning in the chaos and the turmoil of this world, don't panic, look up. Fix your eyes upon Jesus, upon his word. Turn off the things that distract you. The Spirit of God is being removed from this world. Jesus told us that because iniquity abounds, that the love of many would wax cold. I don't know about you, but the love in my heart for certain people, politicians and media, has waxed cold, and I don't want that to be the case. I want it still to be the case in my life where I see these human beings as people for whom Christ died to save. Somebody whom is making the wrong decisions and they're choosing to reflect Satan rather than Christ. I can't help that. All I can do is share the gospel. He that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. And I pray that the coals of love will burn brighter and brighter in our hearts as we see the day approaching. I pray that like the Moravians, we could be shining examples in our sphere of influence as people who know and believe in God. Don't panic in the midst of the turmoil of this world. Look up. Paul penned these words some 2,000 years ago, not quite. But if it was true for his church, it's a, a thousand percent more true for us today. He admonishes the church this way. He says, Whatsoever is true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things not on the trash and the garbage of what is happening in this world. Don't panic. Look up. Amen.